This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. Swipe right on Torola? Creating ads for a contraceptive patch on dating apps is emblematic of the innovative approach that Amy Welsh, the Vice President of Marketing takes at Agile Therapeutics. Welsh has no shame in working with marketing agencies to utilize the advantages that they offer, while also maintaining close control of her brand's integrity. It's safe to say, Welsh has no shame in taking a different approach that spurs traditional marketing tactics. The novel, the different ways of doing it, the strategic media partnering. For instance, we were able to be the first contraceptive to advertise on dating apps like Match.com. I couldn't have done that if I didn't have somebody outside that was street smart and figured out and partnered with us to appropriately come up with a plan for that. I tend to ensure that the marketing team is the brand steward. We better know our brand better than everybody. And I want to use my agency for things that I don't know or I can't do. It's a bit of a hybrid, but the marketing team better be the brand stewards and the strategists, 100%. Launching a contraceptive in the middle of 2020 might not have been the tactical dream for Welsh, but she did it anyway. Welsh has always acted quick on her feet. It's part of what makes her a good marketer, and it's part of what made this conversation with her so much fun. Throughout her career in big and small pharma, Amy's launched many products and is a fountain of wisdom for having had all that experience. As she creates a new team for a new company in a new product market, her thirst to innovate is high. She's found a need to create new roles for people who can specialize in marketing on popular tools and apps. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Welsh explains the unique challenges of marketing to Gen Z, as well as creating awareness for an entire product class. She also talks about how she is creating new roles on her marketing team. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Brightspot Content Management System enables marketers to launch in just 100 days. It efficiently manages marketing campaigns, on mobile apps, or updates investors on your corporate site, handling it all seamlessly. With over a hundred plus different content types and templates, marketers can deliver a customized, relevant experience to your audience. Additionally, integrate your current marketing automations platform and SEO recommendations directly from your Brightspot content management system, simplifying tool management. Discover more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends. Hey everybody, welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, Vice President of Content Strategy here at mission.org. 
You may be wondering who is Mission. Well, we're a new American studio backed by Founders Fund and Sequoia. And basically, I have the privilege and honor of sitting with an amazing human today. We have the Vice President of Marketing for Agile Therapeutics, Amy Welsh. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. I'm so excited to be here. Super excited to have you. Um, I always start researching the guests, like who's coming on the show? What are they doing? How'd they get here? And, you know, your background's very interesting. Everyone's is in their own unique way. <laughs> I love the path that you've kind of taken in pharma. And I want to kind of dive into that. Before we get into the professional stuff, though, where are you from? Big family? Kind of who were some of your role models growing up? Give us some context. That's kind of yeah. where Amy came from. Absolutely. So I'm from a steel town, Bethlehem Steel, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, so it's not Bethlehem Steel, Pennsylvania, but if you grew up there, you'd feel like it was called Bethlehem Steel, Pennsylvania, but it's Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And uh, it was just my brother and I um, um, that, that were there with my parents. I'd say that, you know, one of my biggest role models um, was my dad. You know, I, I, I got it into me as I watched my dad and he worked for Bethlehem Steel as a toxicologist. Oh, wow. In the labs and 25 or more years later, ended up as the COO. And, you know, as this little kid that kind of watched her dad, you know, it, it taught me, wow, so you work hard. And I'm not even sure if industry is even that way anymore. I mean, who stays at a company as a, as a you know, the, the intermediate low-level uh, toxicologist? An important job, mind you, at Bethlehem Steel, but then yeah. it goes all the way up. But, you know, when I think about, you know, my passion, my drive, the work hard, you know, there is no no. There's always a way. And if there's not a way, the solutions you try to find taught you something along the way. Attitude, I know, came from, you know, this sort of hero lens I probably put upon my, my father. And it's great. You know, I, I'm still lucky to have both my parents. And oh, I, cool. I, have, uh, I have my dad still uh, as a big cheerleader behind me, kind of uh, um, helping me along the way still to this day. So, OK, so you said brother, older brother, older brother. brother. And he, so uh, he's okay. doing he's a teacher. Uh, cool. in my opinion, okay. one of the hardest jobs, yes. one of the best jobs in our in our country today, right? Uh, he's a, a middle school teacher in Easton, Pennsylvania. Wow. Yes, so he he stayed close to home. I went a little farther out here, and uh, I live currently in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Okay, got it. Where you come from? That's awesome. And so, in terms of marketing, just kind of the genesis of this for you, was there a particular campaign? Was there a particular individual? that kind of cultivated this interest in marketing specifically? Where did that happen on the, on the path for you? So funny that you asked that, because if you would have asked me in high school what I wanted to do, I wanted to be Anna Wintour. <laughs> okay. Okay. I didn't want to get married. I, I just wanted to live in New York and I wanted to work for a magazine and, and all wow. of that stuff. And I, I just had, I, I mean, if you looked at my room, I had the piles of the Vogues and all of that stuff. I would have told you I had the clearest North Star ever. And then I went to college and took broad courses and, 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 and believe it or not, took a, a I have a minor in, um, in, in, in psychology, took a lot of psychology mm. courses and it taught me connection points with people. And um, I'd argue that my degree, which did end up in marketing communications, I think that the, it was really my time in psychology and really looking at and, and an internship that I did in, in Radnor, Pennsylvania with a company named Chilton. And I, I wrote materials and designed materials for an automotive industry <laughs> publication. Wow. And, and it changed. So I, I got a little bit of Anna in me because I worked for a magazine, but then I realized, you know, I, 
I wanted to be part of the strategy. I wanted to be a part of the solution. I wanted to listen to people. And, you know, I think the best marketer listens. And, and to me, that's that started to take over. So I wish I had a North Star moment. Um, it was more of an evolution that brought me to, to, to probably the, the actual career I have today. Wow. Okay, cool. So is there a certain way that you approach marketing? Like when, you know, you, you've been at Agile Therapeutics for just over a year, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And a half now. Yep, so, yep. so let's maybe let's talk about the first 90 days into this role at Agile. By the way, you started in May of 2020, right? So it's like right at the height of, hey, the world's changing. Um, let's go ahead and we need your help, Amy, yeah, in marketing. It's funny. So, I, I signed the yeah. contract, then it's like, and we're going to ship the computer to your house. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you can't come. It was a great yeah. lunch and I never want to see you again. No, I'm teasing. Wow. I'm teasing. Uh, well, I think when I'm lucky, and maybe it was part of my Al Altamari, um, our CEO, my, my manager's strategy about looking like at someone like me for the role. I spent my roots in digital marketing. You know, my first job, as you probably saw, is at digital agencies and, and building. And, and then for whatever reason, maybe because I'm, 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 I'm a little crazy, when I went over to the client side and started on industry, I always did launches, always. If it was an indication, it became an unintentional niche for Amy Welsh, if you will. So yeah, when the pandemic hit, you know, it, it all probably felt like an oh crap moment for a lot of us. Um, but it, it didn't necessarily change what my strategies would have been. You know, um, what I loved about, I've been at big pharma and small pharma. What I love about small pharma is the ability to sort of make, be very, very nimble, make decisions and listen. And, and the, the team had already done a lot of research. And for our launch, you know, I just had to look at it and listen. And, and let's be honest, I, I, I'm launching a contraception I have, you know, two daughters, maybe one of them that I'd be a little not ready for the contraceptive conversation, but technically of age for the contraceptive conversation. And their whole world, world is digital. I mean, they're staring at their phone, you know, this weekend I'm watching or the other day I'm watching the Met Gala and every one of them are like, I'm not watching them. I'm going to watch them. I'll look at the Instagram pictures. And if anything, it reinforced what we should be doing for our patients, you know, we, we you know, mm. it, it's a digital world. Live is different. Live for them is, is Instagram live, you know, live it's, it's different. And so I can't say, again, this is maybe going to index on Amy being a little loopy, but uh, I can't say I was intimidated. I think at this point in my career, I was excited. I felt like finally pharma can do it right. It's right in front of us. So I, I felt as though finally I can do a launch right. Right, not the old levers. Let's let's talk to patients authentically. Let's use the channels that they are sitting in front of twenty four seven, and have a meaningful connection. So I, it's odd that I wasn't intimidated. Any new job, you want to make sure you do a good job for. But I guess I was I was excited about what the limitations of the pandemic could mean for a truly now authentic launch. And so you can you joined. Just after Twirla got FDA approval. Yeah, right? or was Twirla it just got FDA before? approval. Believe it or not, it's nice. It's easy to remember because it was Valentine's Day. Okay. So then okay. we started building out the leadership team and then I came, okay. I came with them in, in May. Okay, cool. So your your FDA approval, which is big, that's big. Got, got to get that. Ah. Got, the FDA, got the FDA approval in Feb of 2020. Now you're jumping into the launch of Twirla. What are some of the things you're thinking about in terms of 
short-term goals, mid-term goals, longer-term goals, just specific to the launch of Twirl? Yeah, what are you, that's a what are you doing? Great question. A, yeah. So putting the patient first, because we knew that this was a market where if she went in and asked, she'd get the product for the most part, unless the physician had a little bit of a concern. And when it came to a patch and, and the fact that a lot of our patients are younger, they didn't even know a patch existed as an option. I mean, it, it's almost common play that if, um, if the young woman is ready to talk about contraceptive, the narrative is, I, I guess I need to go on the pill. Like the pills become mm-hmm. Kleenex, you know, for tissues type of thing. So, you know, um, while I didn't have much time, right, we had to hope to, you know, actually officially launch by year end. I knew I needed to get something unbranded out to let her know what her options are. And this also felt like that opportunity to, to, to really authentically connect and not push brand. Like pharma loves to push our agenda. Let's just mm-hmm. sit and build a community and listen. Does she know, like I said, does she even know patches exist? What does she even know? Does she know 15 or more options exist? And almost even more importantly, does she know at that time, Jeremy, things are changing. But at that time, the ACA allows you to get any one of these options for free, you know, do you know all that? So we started this campaign um, shortly after I, I got on board in the middle of the summer called the I'm So Done campaign, where we mm. just really wanted to have some fun and educate and, and build a, a community before we were going to be all in Torola, Torola, Torola. <laughs> you know, can we make her realize, you know, there's more than just a pill? And by the way, the pill is a great option, but it's the same time everyday option if you want it to work exceptionally well. And you know, and, and I'm okay if you want to go on an IUD or, or, a, or a ring, but I want you to just know about it. It might be the mother of two in me that just she should at least know about it. So that's what we really focused on from, from a patient perspective and from a physician perspective. We were trying to figure out, you know, how many of the physicians really need to um, have a lesson in unpacking, say, OrthoEvra, the previous patch, because we're certainly not ortho ever or, or the generic now that's out there. There's a couple of them out there. Um, we have a really great story to tell there. There's a meaningful difference. So it really was pre-launch trying to educate HCPs on the fact that this is different and it's coming. And, you know, this could be meaningful. We're, we're, the, we're the patch with the lowest estrogen exposure out there. We're comfortable and, and whatnot. And really taking a pause on the patient and just making sure she knew options are out there. So that's what the immediacy kind of looked at when I first started. So in terms of educating the HCPs, these healthcare providers, what was the thoughtfulness that kind of went into that campaign? Was that just simply, hey, we're dropping by offices and we're going to talk about this? Was there, uh, did you have to shift in how you're delivering that education to these HCPs? Yeah. What's some of the stuff you did there? It was, uh, you know, we did it by all means necessary. (laughs) So you might not want to see me. And let me tell you, OBGYNs, you know, they're not letting partners go in there if women are pregnant and going for, so, you know, I'm not going to assume that, you know, a rep's going to go in there. So thankfully we had, we already had relationships that were cultivated ahead of time. And so I had marketing materials that were faxable email. (laughs) We went all the way because to me, the the most important thing was to connect with the physician, understand Uh and respect their office protocols. Uh-huh. And if you're not ready to have a rep come in, that is fine. We, you know, we'll, we'll talk about how to sample you appropriately. We'll talk about how to educate you appropriately. You know, I, none of us were intimidated by this type of call. If you needed to mm. do a Zoom call, we had to sure. make sure that every bit of our materials would be meaningful um, and mm-hmm. have impact regardless of whether it was facts, PDF, interactive, and in some cases live, but very little, right, initially um, at that point in time, you know, during the pandemic. 
What were some of the challenges that came up in that initial launch of Twirla? The biggest challenge was, you know, uh, the ACA coverage shifted. You know, there were some things going on politically um, at the end of last year that we probably all remember. And some of the the uh, assumptions that, you know, made it easier for innovative products to launch like ours, maybe a year or more previous sort of the shift. So managed care was what it typically is then, you know, um, for a launch, which I am very, very used to. But I had thought, wow, this might be the one launch where managed care will be a little different because of ACA. We started to see that plans, you know, um, didn't necessarily follow that um, um, anymore. And uh, I'm not sure that they felt like the mandate was um, as strict as it, as it needed to be. So some of the pivots that maybe we thought about maybe executing later in the launch to sort of augment uh, volume, we quickly realized we better do now because mm. my one of my um, mantras for launch always is a, a positive first experience. I mean, none of us are going back to that restaurant that you know we, we didn't like the food or made us you know um, you know not feel great or whatnot. So how do we make sure that if a physician's prescribing it, he or she is confident that it's going to be easy in the back office isn't you know stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and more importantly, if she is asking for it by name or, or a patient gets it, how can I make sure she's going to get it and it's affordable? So we had to really push up a lot of strategies that might've come six or more you know, months down the road. But again, that was fine because we've all been there. We know the partners, you know, so things like, you know, having a specialty pharmacy, having a, a telemedicine partner, but again, not really new for any launch. But maybe new for a contraceptive launch because, uh, you know, typically the ACA helps it be a little different. Now, how about kind of pulling from your experience at AstraZeneca, huge brand, big brand in in the pharma world. Mostly everyone has heard of that brand at least once or twice. Yeah. I'm curious about your development there at AstraZeneca, what you high level, some of the things you have taken into your role as VP of marketing at Agile Therapeutics, some of the things, lessons learned that that really translated well, maybe some things that you did that was contrarian, something you maybe disagreed with. You know, I'm curious about that crossover between those two brands. I can't say enough positive things about my breeding and development at AstraZeneca. You know, I, I probably came there as a young cocky agency person that thought, you know, I, you know, digital too, back in the day that was new. So I, I was, right. I was someone that was going to help them. Um, and, and I like to believe I, I, I did in some small way, but the way they look at things, you know, the, the processes for looking at an individual and developing them, if you're actually going to grow to be a commercial leader, it's not just boardroom presence, it's understanding all elements of the business in a meaningful way. It's not just a five-month rotation. It's, you know, being there and, and, and sitting with sales teams and managed markets team, contracting teams, business development. I was so lucky to work with um, people who are now not just good friends, but, but lifelong mentors that I made there. Um, and every launch, be it, like I said, an indication launch or, or a brand new launch or a pediatric launch or a cardiovascular launch, you know, I was lucky to be on brands like Crestor and Circle XR and, 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 and respiratory products. Each one made me better. And I think I had my last tour of duty there was, was running the Diabetes Injectables franchise. Yeah, and, I saw that. And what was exciting about that, and I'm, I'm definitely the person that thinks that things happen for a reason, because, you know, when I was asked to move and take on that great responsibility, I kind of felt like I'm going to be at AstraZeneca forever. Let's check this out. And what that did, though, was it removed us from what I like to call the AstraZeneca mothership. And 
the diabetes franchise was separate. It was in this smaller satellite office mm. in Fort Washington. We had to exercise on our own. Um, so, you know, this person that had these dependencies for the last decade or so and, and, and whatnot, we, we, we had to do it on our own. And we had to build this sort of individual business unit at that point in time. And that was sort of the remit for at least a year or more. Wow. And the growth that came out of that, I'd argue for all of us, was, was in the trust that they put in us, um, was outstanding. And what was really interesting from a leadership perspective, too, is, you know, after a year or more, we kind of came full circle because to me, you have to put the patient first always. And, and a diabetic patient isn't coming to their endocrinologist or even their primary care physician and only talking about their diabetes. They're talking about their blood pressure and cardi, you know, they're going to talk to their cardiologist and they're looking at their entire, you know, health and well-being. And we as business leaders had to come together and go back to the mothership. And we all made a, a very important leadership to decision together with senior leadership to say, you know, I, I don't think it should be metabolic. It needs to be CVMD. Well, a, a few of us were building teams and, and, and phasing ourselves out of teams and, and, and doing what was right for the business and, and, and patients at that time. So at that point in time, I probably mm. gave my husband a, a heart attack because I, you know, and, and AstraZeneca, which was always so good to me, had some plans for me in different types of roles. And some of them were potentially even ex-US. And I, I, I kind of looked at my, my home front at that point in time and didn't think that would work. And and I thought to myself, you know, I, you know, thankfully we were, we were at a point where I, I had some external um, contacts and I thought maybe it's time for me to go and do this on my own. And when I, I admitted to you that I might've come to AstraZeneca a little cocky only to be reshaped, I probably left AstraZeneca thinking, well, now I can, this is going to be so easy. I can go to a small company. I'm going to run it. I'll build a commercial presence. And I left before Agile, I joined a, another small. Antares, um, right? Yeah. Antares. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And that's when I realized, like, holy, <laughs> you know, I thought it was good, um, but no, like, wow, I really have to do this on our own because there's no one, it's just me. And uh, I'm a learner by nature. Um, and that's when I realized that, you know, everything I was taught at AstraZeneca, I've got to dig deep. We were taught process. We were taught to think methodically. Everything starts with a strategy, you know, and every product has a life cycle. Like all of the, all of the upbringing and care and feeding had to come because I had to build it myself. Mm -hmm. um, and then also probably realized, you know what, there were 12 steps in that program. We probably only need three, you know, how do you take what you learned and tailor in the new, in the new environment? And we, we do that here at Agile Therapeutics too, but it was a first class. I'm, I'm very, very lucky. AstraZeneca is an outstanding company. Mm -hmm. They treat their employees very, very well. And I was very lucky for the time and the, the tenure I, I had there. What about the team either that was there when you joined Agile? Did you build a marketing team there? If you did build it, who were some of the roles that you're, you're picking your first 90 days? Because you came on, we just got FDA approval. Let's launch this bad boy. What does the squad look like at that point? And what, is the, and what does the squad look like now? Yeah. In terms of yeah. roles and capabilities. Yeah. Um, there was a, there was one of the most impressive young women I've ever met. That was already a part of Agile um, um, as, a, as a marketing manager that um, was already on. And uh, she now leads my consumer work. You know, Agile is her first real pharmaceutical marketing job. And every time I work with her, her name is a Emily Santisbert. Every time I work with her, I think, my God, was I a mess when I was her age. And, and, the, and the stuff she can do, almost to the point where it challenges me as a leader because 
I probably give her a lot and I forget that, you know, this is the first time she's done any of this because she continues to hit not only, you know, singles and doubles and triples, but home runs. Wow. But every once in a while, I need to realize that, you know, she, she's learning as well, too. So it was her mm-hmm. and I for a while, but I knew that wasn't really? sustainable. Well, when I say a while, I think the pandemic months were years. So it really, it really was maybe the first six months that it was her and okay. I. And so, you know, we were going to run with the patient, her and I would work on that. And I, 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 you know, I don't look at titles anymore. I look at just, you know, enjoying life. Um, so I didn't care what I was doing. Um, but I, and I worked probably closely with the HCP and all the materials we did with the HCP stuff. And then it kind of came and they look, lift up for air. I realized, all right, you know, we need a, we need a strategic commercial project manager because I need someone to look above everything because it's not just Twirla, it, it will be Twirla, but we need to do a lot more. We need business enterprise partners. We need to successfully launch Twirla. We need to successfully maintain Twirla. And then we need to help to build a pipeline for Agile and whatnot. So I needed someone to come in and sort of help to um, immediately build a launch success plan for us, but then help us look above and beyond the trees and build corporate success for us too. So I brought in a commercial project manager, um, Beth Gallant, who's outstanding. And then near the end of the year, I brought in um, an HCP, a classic HCP marketer to help me run my team, um, knowing that the next step at would be helping me bring a life cycle type of strategic mindset and a BD mindset. I'll tell you today, I'm I'm shifting that. I think what um, I'm actually um, potentially looking to add on to the team and what I think I want to do. And you have any ideas, Jeremy, on this title? Because I'm trying to figure out what it is. But I, I think it's more of a marketer that's helping me with what now I'm maybe a little lame t- t- uh, uh, thinking of as alternate channels. Because it's not just mm. not just marketing anymore the way we think about it, right? right Especially right. in the women's healthcare, it's it's public sector marketing, like understanding Planned Parenthood and student health clinics. The student health clinics are big in my world. And it's a different marketing challenge there. How do you make yourself meaningful there? Mm. It's telemedicine, but bigger than telemedicine. It's understanding um, the digital entrepreneurial world. What are the new businesses out there? And what's next for um, either Troller or Agile? Because we're not just a patch Mm -hmm. company, we're a women's health company. So what are the bigger opportunities? So you know, it feels BDE, but I kind of uh-huh. feel like, no, it's a marketing strategist. It's a corporate marketing yeah. strategist, alternate channel sort of like role. So that's what I'm wow. trying to shape right now, Jeremy, and, and seeing if I can fill that. Yeah. What about your perspective on hiring an agency versus, you know, kind of inside versus outside? You know, I've talked to a lot of CMOs and VPs across the Fortune 1000 and kind of listening to their take. Some of them are a 50-50 mix. Some of them are like, we don't do agency at all. It's all in-house, very little. Some are really bullish on agencies. You come from that world as well. What's your kind of experience in that? And how do you approach that now? And it's funny because Al and I talk about this a lot back and forth on internal versus external. Uh I uh clearly have an opinion. So, (laughs) um, which, you know, maybe is dangerous. It's twofold, right? Um, I'm still in the mindset because I came from an agency that you need an agency. And and it's simply because if I use an analogy of a car, you know, a car loses its value when it pulls off the lot. And, you know, I I tried to share with you when I, you know, was at the digital agency and then I went to AstraZeneca, you know, wow, that I think I was awesome, you know, six months a year. I didn't know anything compared to the people who stayed. And I've been living and breathing. Um, and again, I put digital first. So the, the agency I'm thinking about now aren't your traditionals. It's your digital media. It's your, it's those types of agencies. So mm-hmm. 
I could hire them, sure, but the big thinking, the novel, the different ways of doing it, the, the strategic media partnering, you know, for instance, we, we were able to be the first um, contraceptive to advertise on, on, on dating apps like Match.com oh, wow. and Plenty of wow. Fish. I couldn't have done that if I didn't have, you know, somebody outside, you know, that was street smart and figured out and partnered with us to appropriately, uh, you know, come up with a plan for that. So that's why I tend. But then that being said, I'm also not a fan of sort of like that big hourly individual from the agency that comes in every six months and gives you the like I, I tend to ensure that the marketing team is the brand steward. So those retainer brand steward fees, you know, we should do that. We better know our brand better than everybody. And I want to use my agency for things that I don't know mm-hmm. or I can't do, you know, if it's for media or for a big idea, it is for all of that. So I guess I can say it's a bit of a hybrid to what you're saying, but, um, but you know, the marketing team better be the brand stewards and the strategists a hundred percent. We better keep that. Um, and then I look at the agency as the people that can come up with the big ideas and execute for us. Right. I like it. So do you, do you view HCPs and your, and your customers, her, you have to connect with both of them. They're, they're both important. How do you kind of approach those two really important segments? Cause you, you gotta have buy-in from the HCPs. You gotta have buy-in from customers, obviously. So in terms of storytelling, in terms of how you're just engaging with each of those audiences, what's your approach there? How do you kind of tackle that high level? It's almost like a story arc, and they're both on the story arc. The HCPs mm-hmm. need to know why, right? They need to know that troll is there, but they need to know why. Um, because most of their day is solving for the why not. Like, it's very easy to say you're branded, you're probably more expensive. I'm going to have to ask my nurse staff to call a PA, and this is a headache. Why? Right. And so everything about the narrative to the HCP needs to make them informed and hopefully ultimately one day passionate about why for Trolla. Um, I've been very lucky in my career that all the brands I've worked on have a very good why. And Trolla at this point in my career is one of the best whys. So mm-hmm. on a patch, you know, with this low estrogen, it's pretty impressive. So on the arc of the HCP narrative, you know, they're sitting at the why and I'm trying to get them on their learning points and the opportunities to find them in the best atmosphere. You know, beyond the sales force, you can't not do it with the sales force. But this year and the last year has sort of reshifted how much access and time, you know, your classic rep has. So all of the supplemental marketing strategies for the HCP are mm-hmm. to support that knowledge and the why and that differentiator. For her, for the patient, it's a bit of the what. And the why, you know, uh, as I said mm-hmm. earlier, my narrative for her is, you know, when she's when she's actually thinking, am I someone that's ready for contraception? So how do I meet her there and those teachable moments and, and realize, did you even know a patch existed? You know, it's not for smoking cessation. It's actually for same, you know, just set it and forget it. So her story arc starts with finding those opportunities for for the what. And then making her understand, you know, the why. And I've been trying to challenge ourselves that that, that could be a combined strategy. You know, in the mm-hmm. same, in the same, you know, hopefully touch point, you can tell her, you know, what and why at the same point in time, and then bring her along too. I've not seen a category like this one where, you know, when 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 an OBGYN and a patient get together, it can be magic, and and they will mm-hmm. listen to each other. In most categories, that listening does happen, but in the contraceptive category, because it's pretty safe, there all these products are, 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 you know, similar in what they're end, you know, at the end of the day going to do. But what the physician looks for is, you know, 
will she take it the same time every day? Well, I believe that she was. I don't want to get the calls, you know, is an invasive procedure something she can take? Right. You know, so when, you know, I'm able to connect those two together and make them realize something like Trilla could be pretty easy as a weekly patch that you set it and forget it. And so the magic happens when she realizes this is an option that I didn't even exist and I want to talk to my doctor about it. And he or she as a physician realizes this is easier than I thought. It's not at all like the legacy patch. Um, mm. And most importantly, my patient can get it if I prescribe it. So the story arcs come together, but it's sort of figuring out what parts did they come together and then how do I get them to come together? Mm, I love that. There's a, there's a state of the industry marketing report that Salesforce just, just dropped. I don't know if you've seen it. They, they do it about once a year. Um, they surveyed over 8,000 CMOs, VPs, marketing leaders, every industry you can imagine. Super interesting report. A part of the report says this, it says, Marketing is spelled D-A-T-A. Uh-huh. And, and it's so, of course, you, of course, at the helm of VP marketing, like understand that data is oil. It's so important. Um, I want to kind of understand what are, what are some of the indicators that you're looking at daily? Maybe it's monthly. What's some of the business intelligence that you look at in, at the helm of marketing and agile therapeutics in your, in your segment? For the patient, since we're a very strong and almost single-minded a digital campaign, right? Weekly, we are looking at the easy KPIs like website traffic and which of my channels are producing the best push for the website traffic. And, and then what is she doing? What are my you know, key performing indicators there, my high value actions, if, if, if you will, on the website? What do I like to believe that this is showing intention to talk to a doctor? So say watching the how-to video or or easy download the copay card and things like that. That's constant, you know, and you can, you know, there's nothing new there. You can see as you spend more, you get more, you know, on the impressions and whatnot. And, you know, I like to look at unique impressions on, on that to, to, to see, but ultimately nothing's more important for me than, than say like a crossics type of data, because then, you know, after six or nine months that you've been out there and for us, it's right now, <laughs> We're hitting our, our critical mass now that I'm able to now look at CrossX data and say, all right, that all that good pre-activity, all that buzz, all of those big, you know, you see all of us when we're on our earnings call say, you know, we had 5 million in prep. Great, but did they do something, right? So the, the, the CrossX helps me answer, did they do something, right? And mm. that's the second part of it from a patient perspective that we're just starting to, to get into now that we have enough data. From the HCP, it's also classic. It's, you know, it's whether you use your symphony and, and or your Acuvia to find out script data, but I'm constantly trying to listen to them too with either a classic ATU or doing pulse surveys with our called on physicians. You know, I thought these were the right messages, doc, but did you, and are they clear <laughs> and are they landing, you know, and which way, you know, knowing that I only have now so much less time with you you know, which one do I have to say first? Which one's landing as the most meaningful for you? And what I saw that COVID did change is, you know, we used to look at data and think, you know, that rep needs to see you anywhere from maybe eight to 12 times and it's going to sink in. Well, now it's a little longer. So how do I, how do I, you know, surround sound him and her and, and support that journey to, to not take as long? So 
it's critical points like that, like your classic ATU. And, and you're right. It's sure. data, data, data. And probably on top of that, it's, it's measuring. And the best thing about digital is you can make a quick change. If I'm seeing that I, right. I invested in seven channels and two or three of them aren't doing much, I, you know, in one week's time or less, or sometimes in an hour's time, you just shift the spend over and find what your optimal mix is. That's mm-hmm. why I've always been a big fan. It's not like I'm against things like TV, but that's always... I've always had to build a right. different measurement plan um, for TV um, than you do for something like digital. You talked about this so done, you know, so done club, the so yeah. done campaign. Yeah. You know, this was a, a recent campaign. It was noted for best non-branded campaign <laughs> and best social media campaign in 2021. Yeah. Oh. Can you tell us a little bit about what went into the makings of this campaign and creatively kind of how it all came together? Thank you for that. We like this, Jeremy, on a Zoom. So for all of those that think that this is, uh, you can't really work this way, you, you can sometimes. I, I brought all of the women, and, and, and I'm probably not surprising, Jeremy, most of the women on my team and on the agency are younger than me. And we did a think tank session. And I said, um, I want everyone to bring me their five favorite uh, social media sites, just five favorite. And if you can make them, I don't care if they're commerce, I, I don't, I don't care what they are, but what are they? And I try to be cool and I brought my five, you know, and, and whatnot. And, <laughs> and the whole purpose was to find what the similarities are and what's the voice and what's meaningful today and what are, what, what isn't working. And, and I have to tell you, I'm so proud, you know, to be a mom, especially of two girls, women today are fiercely smart and they can cut through it. You know, Kim Kardashian Truth. saying that I'm on a migraine or Chloe, everyone knows that's a paid spot, you know, that mm-hmm. it's going to get your eyeballs. But so uh-huh. we really spent like, you know, many, many hours looking at things that we really were inspired by, you know, women of all shapes and sizes and colors and, and, and coming together in communities and and authenticity mm. and not just buying for the sake of buying, but buying because you believe, you know, a la Tom's that maybe there's an alternate bigger, you know, um, mm-hmm. payoff in the mm-hmm. end and, and, you know, sort of causal marketing. And so it came from that, you know, and then I quickly mm. partnered with my internal stakeholders, like your legal, your regulatory, your medical. And, right. You know, a bit of a brief came out of that. But what I said was, we're not doing the same, you know, and, and, and you know, we're going to live by our name. We call ourselves agile, but we're, I promise we're not going to do anything out of risk, but we got to, I don't, I don't want to do the same. I, I want to talk in the way mm-hmm. they, talk. I want to, I want to be authentic. You know, I, I think I tended to use the pandemic as the, this is why we need to do it. So yeah, it came from a different type of approach and I am pretty, I am pretty proud of it. Um, we're, we're, yeah. we're putting um, not as much funding as I had been putting towards it, but our 2020 end of the year plan and into 2022 is we're looking ways to, to continue to breathe life into it because it was a promise to patients that it's going to be there. But there wasn't a troll of vehicle too. That's one of the things mm-hmm. I said. I don't, so it wasn't designed to wink, wink, <laughs> and then we're going to find a way to jam you on my product. It was just a place to come and chill. And, and try wow. to authentically be that way. So the only disappointment is I, I hope that we're able to continue to, to, to fund it the way it should be. And, and I believe it will. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was, it's a great site. It's a good site. One of, the, one of the big things about the So Done campaign was the way you were able to really build a community around the campaign. How were you able to drive engagement and really get your users to voice their, you know, voice their message and, and build a community of like-minded other folks like them? Yeah, honestly, through 
social media, the things we did on Instagram and 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 polls, and and then we'd we'd ask. And again, this all came from seeing what better sites did, stealing shamelessly from the BuzzFeeds or stealing shamelessly from things mm-hmm. that weren't pharma. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest drivers we did, and I think some of the folks at my company thought I was out of my mind, but at the end of the year, we did an end of the year giveaway. How many of our social medias do we see, you know, click this and send it to three friends. Right. So we did the same thing and we had this end of the year, you know, end of 2021 FOMO or JOMO, which I'm more of a JOMO, which I now know means joy of missing out rather than ah. fear of missing out. Ah. And we were giving away cool leather masks from this woman who lives not too far from me. Um, who started a company with her daughter during the pandemic called Generation Masks. And she was just making masks out of her kitchen. And wow. we gave all of the proceeds to her who gave it to Black-owned businesses and whatnot. Beautiful. And, and it, so it meant nothing. All I wanted you to do was tell a friend. That's all I asked you to do is, is to be part of the, the So Done Club. And so it was, and I just give that as an example, but it was just by you know putting your marketing agenda away, stop being pharma first, stop being brand first, you know? Mm-hmm. After the So Done ca- campaign, you you pivoted to a to a, a branded a branded campaign, which you utilized Tinder uh, as really the main platform for your ads. This was a first in the yeah. pharma industry, I believe. So yes, it was. Why, why was Tinder your platform of choice, and what made this a good opportunity and a good fit for agile therapy? Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were doing a lot of other display on a lot of other places, but again, if I'm being authentic and listening to what she's doing, she's you know, we were entering hot vac summer. <laughs> people were trying mm. to get out, and people were people that were happy to stay in were trying to find connection points, and I was reading you know, stats, like you said, marketing is spelled D-A-T-A. And one of the biggest growth areas, you know, outside of things like, you know, Instacart and DoorDash, which by the way, we looked at that too, was uh, dating ads. People wanted to connect and maybe it wasn't in the same way they were doing before the pandemic, but they wanted to connect. And I'm sure there was a way to make it happen. And and thankfully, like I said, a lot of these partners, you know, agreed. Um, and, mm-hmm. and they should be responsibly making sure that they offer things like contraceptives if they're, you know, helping people connect, you know, why not? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it felt like a very obvious place to, to be able to put our, our message to women at that point in time, a, a very good teachable moment as she's in that mindset. This is, this is, brings up something interesting. I, I love your perspective on, which is connected to that, you know, marketing to Gen Z and really appealing to Gen Z's values which are really rooted in this idea of like, you got to be authentic. We can smell inauthenticity a mile away, yes. got to be authentic. So, but then you, then there's also some unique challenges that come with marketing to Gen Z versus millennials. Have you approached that? Like, I'm curious what you do because you're kind of speaking to two different entire audiences. Yeah. I mean, really, it, I've purposely sort of staffed my partners that way. You know, we've had great mm. advocacy partners like Advocates for Youth, you know, that I, I'll put my materials in front of and say, you know, does this make sense? Is this the right voice? Am I asking the right questions? Am I providing value? So I'd, I'd say it's, you know, what I've been trying to do is, is not have it come from, you know, like I said, our spot and our agenda and making sure that I'm, if I'm saying I'm being authentic, well, then I shouldn't be saying Amy Walsh is doing a lot of this stuff, right? I should be mm-hmm. partnering with the people who is an end game going to. Um, Endgame would be interested in having this type of conversation. So it's really living and abiding by that. Can you talk about how 
you and the team there are broaching AI machine learning into some of the campaigns, strategies, approaches. Are you guys into that AI ML world yet? Are you evaluating it? If so, how are you finding that? From a patient perspective, we did start to say, you know, how can we be meaningful? Can we be meaningful there? I'd say we, uh-huh. we're starting to go there more on the HCP side. Okay. Um, you know, with your classic Viva platforms that that have AI that could help a rep realize that if Dr. Bergeron is someone that I did X amount of calls to and has this type of prescribing behavior and this type of area with this type of managed care access mix, then that means that Dr. Welsh and 15 other people in these areas should probably hear the same type of narratives and is able to go there. So we've been looking at more the HCP side from an AI perspective um, at this point in time sooner. It's not to say that I'm not open to it from the patient side. You've been very focused on the channels that you play in. You know, while you're advertising on digital platforms, we don't see you on TV yet. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit about TV and the difference it is. Can you break down why you've taken this strategic and focused approach to your ad spend? Like, how do you plan to evolve your current strategy moving forward, not including TV or adding TV later? To me, I wanted to double down on making sure that my message hit exactly who it was supposed to hit. You really nicely articulated a question that we spent a lot of time thinking of. So it's that arc between the Gen Z and the millennials. It's only really digital that I can get surgical and ensure that I am saying that to you. And I don't have what I call wasted eyeballs. My husband and I um, reconnected on pop culture during the pandemic. Like I think a lot of partners did Um, And one of the shows that we watched, I don't know, three months ago or four months ago was Sons of Anarchy. By the way, very good show. Mm -hmm. Yep, very familiar. And every time it went to a commercial, I saw like an Anavera ad or I saw (laughs) ad. And and my husband was like, you know, razzing me like, you know, and I I kept thinking, wasted eyeballs. And and I can, and trust me, like, you know, you're able to get very, you know, with connected TV, you can, you can figure out around that. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. every time that happened, I thought to myself, you know, I got no wasted space. You know, we, we try to talk to investors who range from, you know, my dad's age to, you know, any age. And they'll be like, I don't see your marketing. And my answer had been, which I know is immensely dissatisfying. And I, and I do apologize for that, but it's, if you are seeing it, that I'm doing something wrong. And Mm. I would probably be yelling at my agency because that's not the plan. I, Mm -hmm. I, I have only so much dollars, so every bit of it better go to the person that actually can and will, or maybe not, consider my product. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, I was saying for, for Torla, my challenge was to let you know or her know that a patch even exists as an option. Mm-hmm. And a patch named Torla is, is, I think, the better option for you to consider. So there was so much that I needed to do and say that I didn't want wasted eyeballs, and I, I, I wanted to be fierce and focused surgically on on who I was saying that to. Mm. Now, you know, as things grow and, you know, things change, I'm, I've never been against TV. I, I've done, I've done TV as a lot in my past, sure. but, but um, I'm focused on measurement. I'm responsible to the budget. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, my boss isn't just Al, it's the board and, and our investors. Right. And I, right. I have to show a return. I'm proud on the return. Troll is not only getting new patients, but they're all staying, no pun yeah. intended, but they're sticking with us. Um, so I think now we're proving it. So now if things change and and budgets change and then, yeah, it's something I would consider. But for the first year, I needed to make sure that everything we were doing was firing on all cylinders against the right eyeballs and and no wasted space. So Deloitte did a study for 
CMOs, VPs of marketing. And it showed that kind of in the past year and change, there's been a significant decrease in confidence across the marketing leader world, those who lead marketing. Uh, I don't think we talk about confidence enough in the head of marketing roles. You know, if you're not confident, you're not going to take chances. You're not going to be bold. You're not going to be yourself. You're going to be second guessing, right? And so I think it's really important as leaders to ensure that people that we work with, they have our trust, they have our confidence and and having these kind of tough conversations, making these tough decisions are, are super key. So my question to you is how do you build confidence? How do you help them build it? I just don't think we explore that enough amongst marketing leaders. That is a good question. So I'm going to think of confidence in my team and in others. I'll start with that um, rather than my own confidence. I always muck up quotes, Jeremy, but there's a Jack Welsh quote that says, you know, when you're, when you're young, leadership is about growing yourself. And as you get more mature, you know, leadership's about growing others. And, you know, confidence is if you, if you believe in your team, then, you know, every step of the way you have their back. Mistakes sometimes present the greater learnings than gains. What I try to do with my team always is for them, the first and foremost, that if there is a mistake, I own it because I probably was there and I approved it. And, and, and that's fine. You know, let's, let's do it together. You are right. And I've seen it happen, you know, more often than not, that if you come at your team a little bit judgmental and, and, and forget that you're constantly supposed to be a teacher, you know, you're supposed to allow the swim lane, you're supposed to be clear and set up proper expectations, but you're traveling the road together, um, then you do have wobble. You do have um, people that don't take risks. You have people that maybe defer to timelines rather than thought. You have people that worry about budget, which, by the way, you should always worry about budget, but then maybe <laughs> maybe sit on a big idea that could have advanced. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you set up an atmosphere that, you know, let's respect the budget, but let's talk about something that we love every month. Let's talk about something that, you know, we were inspired by every week. Because, you know, yeah, I, I personally believe, you know, at the core confidence when it comes to a team and a management relationship comes from trust. At this point, I, I, I just want to be a part of somebody else's journey that's probably going to kill it better than I ever would. Mm. So if they believe that from me, and hopefully I show up that way every day, but I try to have a pause of myself during my introspective moments and think, am I showing up every day? Did I allow mm-hmm. that person to fail? That, that to me is critical. You are right. We don't talk about it enough. I think the people in my journey that gave me confidence were the ones that supported me um, and, and let me fly and fail um, and, and allowed me to pick, pick myself up. Mm. So Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Lightning round, let's do it. Number one, Amy Welsh, Vice President of Marketing for Agile Therapeutics. If you weren't in marketing, what would you be doing? Can I say I still want to be Anna Wintour? I saw her a day ago, <laughs> right? I bet she's killing it. I want to believe I'd be a little bit nicer, but you know what? I don't want to judge her because she's a female leader that definitely killed it. Something like that. I, I, I think, love so. it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, outside of work, what do you do for fun? I try to exercise more, but really I spend time with my kids. You know, they still want to hang out with me. Jeremy, it's not going to last. Wow, they, they're not, right? It's not going to last. So I trick myself in, in feeling like it's going to last. 
Um, I like to shop, but kind of not buy. It's kind of like, it, I could literally walk around a mall and not come out with a damn thing, wow. but just felt like that was therapeutic. So stuff okay. like that. <laughs> okay. Okay. What is, uh, what is one life or work productivity hack that you've learned? I'm going to say to put everything back in its place. Um, I know that's mm. so weird. I'm going to call that a life hack, but the amount of times that my kids, you know, or my, even my husband's like, where did I put? Like the reality is if you literally put everything back, <laughs> <laughs> You always put it here. Just how, oh. about, how about you put it back? How about wow. you? I think life is so put it back in its place. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay. Favorite book, favorite podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope that I don't want to double dip, but my favorite book, and I've just reread it, is Glennon Doyle Untamed. Oh, yeah. And I started yeah, to listen to awesome. her podcast. Boy, she, you know, we can do um, hard things, I think it's called. But if I'm really being honest with you, and I do love that, but uh, I'm a big crime junkies. Uh, me too. Know, Love it. Okay. I want to meet those women. Um, so I, I'd say it's a mix of those two. Depends on what, if I want to get Zen, I'm going with Glennon. If I want to, you know, I have a longer commute, so I'll list, I'll switch back to both. Okay. And I'm a big okay. Howard Stern fan. So he's not doing a podcast, but I do listen to Sirius. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Best advice for a first time VP of marketing. Marketing is data, like you said, but you got there for a reason and never forget your gut. Mm. Because if you forget your gut, then it's kind of what you were saying, Jeremy, about confidence, you know, and if you let everything, everyone's opinion drive you too much and you get too wrapped up in the data, you can miss what's the shiny penny that's sitting in front of you, right? You can't forget your gut, you know, you got there for a reason, so. I love that. I love that. That's still so important to trust that, you know, all the way up to as much data and intelligence that we have and technology and innovation, the gut. The instincts. So, so that's important. how we chose yeah. our partners. That's probably that's how right. we picked our homes. That's how right. we, it's right. the gut. It's always the gut. So, that's awesome. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.